0: I think everyone in this room has experienced uh, what it's like to be caught up in a story. Uh, maybe most recently, uh, it's the Netflix. You end an episode on a cliffhanger, and it's 10 p.m., and you have to go to work tomorrow, but you watch the next one because you just have to know what happens. Um, or uh, for some of you, you get really into a book, and you find yourself just, you have to finish it, and it's like one o'clock in the morning, and you're just sacrificing your sleep. Um, or maybe you go to a really good movie and you have physical symptoms from how into it you are. You ever felt that? Your blood pressure starts to increase a little bit, your heart rate goes up, just because you're into the movie. Um, and uh, just a good question to ask is, what, what keeps us coming back for more in those stories? What keeps us awake at night, still thinking about this unreal TV show or book that we just enjoyed? Uh, normally, it's one of two things in the story. Uh, first is the tension of the story. Uh, how the conflict is going to be resolved, what's going to turn up, what's going to happen, Uh, and then the characters of the story. Um, Typically, uh, we identify ourselves with characters, we root for them, but what happens to them uh, is what draws us in. And uh, one thing that's very important to note about the scriptures is that when you get to narrative portions of the scriptures, when you get to places like Ruth or 1 Samuel or the Gospels, uh, primarily The way the biblical authors teach, what they teach us about God, they do it through the tension and plot and characters of the story. Uh, For example, in Ruth 3, we're not going to see any systematic theology, any statement uh, about who God is and how he provides. But through the story and through the actions of the characters, we're going to see this really wonderful truth about how God makes the bitter things sweet. So let's, uh, let's read Ruth 3 with that in mind, and I'll pray. Ruth 3. <clears throat> then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that's, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, He is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went out into the city. And when she came to her mother in law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter, that she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's we just ask as we just see these three characters acting in ways that <clears throat> Just honor you and are really just quite remarkable in their circumstances. We pray uh, that you'd help us to learn, that your spirit would teach us, that you'd give us an eye to see Christ here and to learn of him. Uh, we pray that in Jesus' name. So, you guys ever notice how um, risk or high pressure situations bring out who people really are? So, um, when hurricanes, or ice storms are heading to Charleston, what people really believe about God's provision and protection is on full display. In uh, the clearing out of the grocery aisles of all the bread and peanut butter, or the getting out of Dodge seven days before the hurricane hits, or the uh, removing all gasoline from the Tri-County area in a matter of hours. Uh, An athlete can talk a really big game, but who he really is as an athlete Is revealed in the foul shot 10 seconds left to tie the march madness game or the field goal to send the super bowl into overtime pressure reveals what i believe most about god's ability to strengthen and provide for my every need is revealed the morning after i have a sleepless night what you really believe about the goodness of the gospel and the worthiness of jesus is on display when someone pitches a mission trip to a dangerous country to you, or when an opportunity to talk about Christ comes up. But this, there's three unbelievers in you. Those situations reveal what you really believe, who you really are. Pressure and risk reveal. And uh, as we'll see, Ruth three is full of risk. It reveals three people walks with the Lord enable them to boldly risk themselves to see God's blessing and uh, we're gonna walk through this story and see these characters and and we're gonna learn something very profound about how the Lord provides and how he makes the bitter things sweet. so first uh, we see Naomi who loves her daughter-in-law enough to even risk her her life Uh, Naomi loves Ruth enough to risk Ruth's livelihood. So if you look in verse, uh, verse 1, verses one to, 1 to 4, Naomi has this crazy plan um, that only it seems like a mother-in-law can come up with. Um, but uh, notice her plan in verse 1 is a loving plan. Uh, she has Ruth's good in mind. She says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may go well with you? If you look back to, to chapter 1, verse 9, uh, when Naomi is trying to send Ruth and Orpah away, she says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Um, widowhood and childlessness weren't just financial burdens in the 12th century BC. Uh, there were stigmas. Um, someone who uh, would be married for a long time without a child, someone who uh, was unmarried uh, late, later in life or whatever, people, people would see this as stigmas. And so Ruth's path towards rest, towards relief from all those things through marriage. In verse 2, Naomi suggests a righteous solution to give uh, Ruth rest. Uh, She says, It's not Boaz our relative. It's not Boaz our relative whose young woman you were. So um, if you haven't been uh, in Sunday school or you just haven't been paying attention, just kidding. um, The the social context of this is really important. Uh, Ruth uh, is a foreign widow uh, who used to be married to an Israelite, but, but he died. Um, And now she's back in these circumstances. They're difficult. And um, the Levitical law provided that uh, if someone, if a man died childless, that his brother or nearest relative could marry his wife and provide uh, for his name to continue on and purchase his property and and do all that stuff. So so Boaz, as a relative of Ruth and Naomi's uh, through her marriage, is someone who could redeem her. Uh, not in the sense that we see in Jesus, right? But he, he, could, he could purchase her land, marry her, and alleviate all of her circumstances. He was the guy. And he was also a guy in the path of God's provision. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 10, we see that Ruth very well could have gone after uh, younger men or richer men than Boaz. Um, but Naomi's plan involves obeying God's law and finding provision for their circumstances in what God has provided. Um, she, she has a plan to place Ruth on the path of God's blessing. But it appears that her plan uh, is kind of like to fly Ruth high in a plane above the path of God's blessing and just throw her out of the plane. And hopefully she lands. I mean, just look, 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 look at her plan. Her plan is for her to, uh, in the middle of the night, to hide herself, to go to the threshing floor, which is just where they were working in the grain, Okay. And when he lies down to uncover his feet, obviously, so he'd wake up in the middle of the night, and then propose marriage to him in the middle of the night. Um, now, again, I, I want to be really clear about this. Uh, we live in a kind of a sex-crazed day, and it's very tempting uh, to view uh, this plan as with some sexual overtures. And if, that's, if if you're tempted there, that's really a result of the culture in which you live, Um painting how you see the scripture. Naomi's plan does not involve that. And there's several reasons for that. Uh, First of all, um, Ruth and Boaz are portrayed as paragons of virtue in this book. Um, Biblical authors don't let people make immoral acts and not comment on them generally. Um, Secondly, I just noticed uh, in verse 8 and verse uh, verse 3 that Ruth is to lie down at Boaz's feet. Uh, That is a sign throughout the scriptures of subservience. Revelation 3, Jesus promises uh, his people that those who are persecuting them will come and bow down at their feet. Um, so the idea so, so um, Ruth is not the plan is not for her to make any sexual overtures here. Uh, it's for her to put her place in a, put herself in a place of submission. Also finally, uh, most likely um, this is the, the better option for Boaz' private proposal. Uh, a public one would be just very out of place in their social context. So anyways, but just because uh, this plan is, is, is sexually appropriate does not mean that it's not without risk. It's hugely risky. Think of all things that go wrong. Boaz could take it the wrong way. He could take it the wrong way, freak out, yell, everyone wakes up, and Ruth's reputation is ruined in the community. Her marriage options are, are done. Uh, he could say man, Ruth, I've given you all this food, I've treated you so nicely, and now you want me to marry you? Like, are you crazy? Like, get out of here. Um, just Okay, imagine, imagine this, all right? Just try, try, try to imagine this. Your dreams come true, you get married, uh, but what happens to Ruth happens to you. Your spouse dies, and he or she leaves um, their mother completely uncared for. Uh, she's a godly woman. Your mother-in-law is a godly woman. So you choose uh, to move down here to Charleston to live with her. Uh, you did not. You don't have a very good education background, so you spend months looking for a job. It goes terribly. Finally, you get a good job working for a Christian of the opposite sex who's about 10 to 15 years older than you. Things are finally going well. You can finally pay your bills. You can finally afford Chick-fil-A every now and again. All right. And you come home, and you come home one day, and your old lady mother-in-law says, you know what, I think you should propose marriage to your boss. <laughs> what do you do with that, right? You're crazy, right? What if, like, like, what if he fires me or she fires me, right? What do I do then? You, Go back to be poor? Um, you're an old lady, okay? Hey, mother-in-law, things aren't like they used to be. You can't just do that anymore, <laughs> right? Um... And uh, it's very interesting that Ruth obeys her. But notice, um, notice there's risk here. It could go terribly. Naomi is suggesting a plan that could go terribly to Ruth, out of love for her. And I'll uh, I'll save most of the application for the end of the lesson when we we see how this unfolds. But I do wanna say just for a moment, uh, that if you love people, if you really love people, you will encourage them to risk in the ways that God has ordained. Love for a friend is not content with that person having a comfortable and secure and faithless life. If you really love your friends, you're not going to be okay with them making all of their decisions on based on what is easiest and most secure and comfortable for me. You're going to encourage them, exhort them, to risk for the sake of obedience. To enjoy God's blessing. Uh, So we see Naomi willing to risk Ruth's livelihood for her good. But we also see Ruth willing to risk herself. Again, old lady mother-in-law suggests to you a crazy plan that could very well result in you being poor and impoverished. And uh, in verse 5 it says that Ruth, verse 4, sorry, Sorry, verse 5, yeah. It says, Bruce says, In all you say I will do, in verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Again, she was willing to entrust herself to the wisdom of someone older than her. She does everything he says. She she comes and uncovers his feet, lays down. But what's really interesting uh, in verse 9... Ruth adds to Naomi's plan. Notice that it, Naomi's plan in verse, uh, verse 4 says, When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Go on and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. The idea is that you put yourself at Boaz's feet and you let him initiate. And uh, Ruth takes it a step further. And when Boaz asks, Who are you? She answers him in verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And this, this response, guys, this is incredible. There are two things that are incredible. So for first, obviously, uh, Ruth is uh, humbling herself again. She's saying that she is Boaz's servant. She's making it very clear that her intentions are not sexual. They're for marriage, right? Um, but notice, she says, spread your wings over your servant. Uh, look at verse chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz is speaking to Ruth. And uh, he's telling her, he, he's giving her a, a prayer of blessing. And he says in verse 12, The Lord will pay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You guys notice that Ruth quotes Boaz back to him? Y'all see that? She's saying, hey, Boaz, you, you prayed for me, all right? That, 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 that God would, would reward me and place me under his protection. And here's what I'm saying. You are that reward for me. You are the way that God has ordained to protect me and provide for me. Um, so not only is she willing to risk herself, she is, uh, she's able to be creative and bold and free under pressure in a very high-risk situation. Now, I typically uh, I try to avoid illustrations around dating uh, because it's just so awkward, okay? But I, I just can't hear, okay? I'm sorry. Uh, it's too, it's too, it's too good. All right, uh, just kidding. But seriously, all right. So just, just, just imagine this. All right, uh, in, in our culture today, uh, you might feel some internal pressure uh, to date and be married. Maybe a little family pressure, but generally, in a broad American culture, you want to enjoy freedom and be single in your 20s and 30s. America is not going to criticize you. Okay, and if you come to me and you say, Leland, honestly, I don't feel like dating. I'm living in purity." and I'm not complaining about being single. I'll say, hey, go for it. Be single. That's great. Enjoy it. Um, that was not the 12th century uh, B.C. Um, there uh, was an immense, immense amount of social pressure to be married. You think your mom and dad nag you now? Like, you have, you have, no, you have no idea what it was like living back then. You were, you were considered, I think, wrongly, okay? And Christianity changed this with the Apostle Paul and Jesus being single, right? But you were considered an abnormal person if you weren't married by the time you were 20. A not complete person. There was this immense cultural pressure to be married. There were high stakes involved. Um, but, but notice, even in our culture where there is relatively low pressure, when it's just our feelings on the line, that first interaction is terrible, isn't it? Right, That first time the guy tries to ask the girl out the sweaty palms, the butterflies in the stomach, the ums, the stuttering, uh, the moment when the guy asks the girls out, the girl out, and he can tell that the wheels are turning in her head, and he's like, oh my God, for a mistake, I'm going to die, I'm just going I'm, I'm to run, I'm going to run away, I'm just going to leave. And the girl, in, in her head, she's thinking, okay, uh, what do I do? Uh, I, I don't know how to speak right now. Um, how do I either, like, chill out and not act so excited that finally this idiot asked me out, or, or let this guy down without credit, you know? <laughs> you know, there's all that, okay? And there's almost no pressure. Um... And Ruth, with really what her reputation for the rest of her life, her livelihood, her future, is on the line here. Literally, not just her feelings, okay? And she comes up with, like, this creative piece of poetry, almost. She's confident. She's bold. So I think uh, what the pressure has revealed about Ruth is that she trusts in the Lord and in the wisdom of elders enough to risk herself. But she's so dependent upon God and so trusting that, that his ways are right that she's enabled to risk. In fact, she's freed from her fear so much that she can be creative and bold. <clears throat> it's a picture of what uh, dependence upon Jesus looks like, the freedom he gives. For you guys, uh, what does legitimate, day-by-day faith in Jesus look like? Um, In a large sense, it it is a willingness to entrust yourself to the kindness, goodness, and wisdom of others. Maybe that's in giving someone confidence, confessing sin to them, trusting them not to share it with others, right? That's not the gossip. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's trusting in the wisdom of others concerning a work or relationship issue, even when it goes against what you think. Um, it's going on that mission trip to a scary place, or just any mission trip, or, or speaking up uh, for the Lord when it's uncomfortable. That's what dependence upon Christ looks like. So love uh, risks others. Love risks oneself. Um, Risk has revealed the character of these women. It's good. But you know what else reveals uh, people's character? When you're caught off guard, uh, when your friend calls you at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, in the middle of this beautiful night's sleep you were having, and you have to answer and it's nothing important and you're just so mad, or, or, uh, or when a, a new scary job opportunity comes up 2,000 miles away from where you've ever lived and you have one week to decide if you're gonna go, um, your heart, who you really are, is revealed in the pressure. And uh, consider what happens to Boaz here. Boaz is put in kind of a tough spot, okay? He probably doesn't see this coming. Uh, he certainly doesn't see the situation coming, right? He wakes up in the middle of the night with a woman at his feet, asking him to marry her. Um, Sounds like a dream for some of you guys, but it's a little, little more complicated than that, okay? Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, let, me, let, me just try, let me try to set the stage here, okay? Uh, we were at the missions conference last weekend, and, uh, or two weekends ago, and uh, one of my favorite sessions was uh, Stephen and Ashley, who live in uh, Wakatoba, in Indonesia. So they, they live among a uh, completely unreached Muslim people group there. It's uh, three days of plane travel to even get where they live. So they're really on the ends of the earth. It's really cool. But they run a tour company. That's their, uh, that's their way to get a visa. And so uh, what they rely upon is uh, groups of people to take short-term mission trips to tour so they can go throughout the countryside and share the gospel with the Muslims on this island. It's really cool. It's just cutting edge, right? So let's ima- just imagine all right, that we, uh, uh, we get a, a young adult trip to go. We get about 15 of us. And we spend our days hiking through the mountains of these islands, sharing the gospel, and we spend our nights just hanging out, enjoying each other. And we've had a really good day. We've witnessed some people. It's gone great. We hung out by the, by the fire, or I don't know, maybe there's not fire because it's hot down there, whatever, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a really good day. Good night. You go to sleep. You're exhausted, pass out in your tent. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, the mosquitoes are biting your toes, and it's driving you crazy because someone has moved your mosquito net. And you look up. And there is one of the other young adults at two a.m. sleeping in your tent at your feet. Okay, ah! you know, like what, what, what do you do? What's your what's your gut reaction? You you haven't prepared for this. You don't have a speech prepared. You haven't practiced the conversation in the car three or four times. Like like what are they here for? Like what am I going to do? Um, like and and in this position, which would be much more awkward in the 12th century BC, when most men and women weren't allowed to be alone together under any circumstances, right? Uh, Poaz wakes up. He says, who are you? Which is a very understandable response, right? Um, And she gives her little spiel, and he begins with a, a praise song. Look at verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter you've made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And it's true that I'm a redeemer, but, but there's a redeemer nearer than I. Just notice a few things, okay? This is the overflow of Boaz's heart. This is what comes out of him at the, in the middle of the night when a random person wakes him up and puts him in an extremely uncomfortable and risky position. Um, That's the overflow of his life. He praises God. He's flattered that Ruth wants to marry him. And again, you guys might think, well, I'd be flattered too. But uh, just notice, uh, marrying Ruth is going to cost Boaz a lot. He's going to have to spend a significant amount of his uh, possessions to buy uh, a a limelight property. Um, Any heirs that he has through Ruth will not go to his name, but to his brother's or his relative's name. She's not going to get a lot out of this marriage. Now Ruth, a worthy worthy woman, she should be a good wife, probably. Um, But again, we've had these discussions in young adults. How well do you have to know somebody to get married? Really well is what a lot of you guys think and say. I understand that. But all of this is in play in the middle of the night. And I think what Boaz sees is the hand of God at work. He's uh, the Lord providing, and he says, yes, he agrees to this risky, crazy kind of thing. I also notice, and this is just so, this is so crazy, all right? Uh, Look at verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Boaz says, it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Again, Levitical law Mm -hmm. said that first, uh, leave a right marriage would go to the brother, and then the nearest relative. And so on Boaz's (coughs) mind, in the middle of the night, with a woman at his feet asking him to marry her, is to make sure they do everything by the book. He wants to be righteous by God's law. So we don't know—we uh, don't know exactly what's going on. We're not sure if Boaz has secretly had crushed the last three months on Ruth, or if God's just solemnly preparing him for this. But we do see that in when he's put on the spot. In the middle of this difficult situation, the overflow of his heart is a concern for someone else and a flatteredness that someone will want to marry him and a desire to obey God. So, again, we see a, we see a man who's walking with God in a life that is so dependent upon God and so characteristically living with Him that in the put on the pressure. Put on the spot moments that part overflow. Boaz didn't live a life uh, of selfishness, and then all of a sudden, when it, when it came to it, he's all of a sudden loving and kind. No, this is, this is overflowing his life. He's been walking with his again. Where your walk with the Lord really is is revealed when someone difficult interrupts your perfect day off. Um, when, out of the blue, at work, somebody criticizes me. Or, you something it's not true. Um, pressure reveals. And again, in Ruth 3, pressure has revealed three people who are walking with God. Their faith is not just a set of doctrines they believe. It is something living and active that overflows from their lives. And if we're going to get anything uh, out of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's walks with the Lord... I think we're gonna have to first admit that the pressures and risks in our lives have revealed something different about us. Um, That our fate has not pervaded our lives like this, that we love our comfort. The pressure reveals um, that we shrink away from risk or that we do it with dread, you know? reveals our sin. Uh, I read Mark 14 this morning in my quiet time, and uh, after the, after Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, it's the story of everyone abandoning Jesus in his greatest time of need. He goes to the Gethsemane, and he's praying that God would make this cut pass from him, and he asks, just stay awake with me. Just be with me, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. And they all fall asleep. The guards come with Judas, and all the disciples run away. Mark himself even runs away. Um, and Jesus is before the council, speaking boldly before these men who had the power of life and death. And his main guy, Peter, who confessed that Jesus was the Christ, is scared because a servant girl recognizes him. And he even denies Jesus. And the pressure and risk revealed to all of these men that they loved their lives more than their Lord. Sounds familiar, right? So I think, uh, I think the path to living in the kind of way uh, that we see these three characters living is a gospel path. Um, we're not going to get there uh, through a pep talk or some diligent effort or through memorizing Bible verses that really encourage us. Uh, I think we're going to get there by first admitting and confessing what is true about us here, right? Admitting and confessing that man, we, we, we don't measure up. Risk and pressure reveal our sin. Uh, Confess specific instances where that happens. Confess your fear to the Lord. Confess how fear hinders you. And then, see Christ standing for you when you don't stand for him. Right? See him in His place. See the life of Jesus lived for you. See, see, see Christ patiently, kindly ministering you in the middle of what amounts to practical faithlessness. Him helping you. And from there, as you're assured and secured in the gospel, in the love of Jesus for you, in your righteousness before God, in heaven before you, then from that place of inward security, you can start to live a life of outward risk. I'll, I'll say that again. From a place of in, inner security, peace with God, secure in the love of Jesus, all the big questions for you answered your life assured of God's love for you. From there, you can begin to live a life that risks, that boldly goes. Um, And when you live that life or begin to live it, you will find the blessing of God. That's actually the point of Ruth 3. I've saved it for now. God blesses his people through their risk-taking obedience. He provides for his people through their risk-taking obedience. Again, Ruth is about, it's a book about God's providence. It's a book about how God makes the bitter things sweet. In this book, we start off with Naomi and Ruth, both widowed, uh, Naomi without children or a husband. She's just standing in the ash heap of her life, and she's saying, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Well, next week in Ruth 4, we're going to see her holding her grandbaby with everything made right, and this grandbaby will be in the line of King David and the Lord Jesus himself. God, this book is a, it's a book about God's providence, but here in Ruth 3, how does God provide for his people? How does he give them blessing? He does so through their risk-taking obedience. You find the blessing of God on the path of risk on the path of outside of your comfort zone, what's comfortable and easy for you. That's where you find the path of God. That's where you find the blessing of God. Um, And we have a million examples of this uh, in life and in the scriptures. Think about Abraham. This is uh, Genesis 12, the father of many nations, right? Uh, Where did Abraham find the blessing of God? Hey, Abraham, leave everything you've ever known. Right? Moses, the guy who delivered God's people from Egypt, okay? The main guy of the Old Testament. Word Moses found the blessing of God? And hey Moses, your prince of Egypt, okay? Leave. Leave all the comforts of that, okay? Go out into the wilderness and then come back and fight Egypt all by yourself. You have a staff. So forth. All the way down to Ruth and Boaz and David, Jesus, his apostles, they have all found the blessing of God through bold risk-taking obedience. Um, one of my heroes uh, is Adoniram Judson. Um, he's a, he was a frontier missionary in the 1800s. He went to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. It's east of India. Um, anyways, let me, just, let me just tell you all, all that um, Judson accomplished and just the blessing that he experienced. Okay, When he arrived in Burma, there were zero Burmese Christians. Nobody had been reached. Not a single one. Okay, By the time he left, Uh, There were 100 churches and about 8,000 Christians, a Burmese Bible, totally translated. Baptist Baptist churches in Burma still celebrate Judson Day, which is the day he arrived, and I think it's 18-something, all right? They still celebrate Judson Day. And just think about that, guys. And and not only that, but but imagine what it's going to be like when we are resurrected from the grave and Judson walks into heaven, and all of these souls hundred years in Burma, they say, you know, God did this, right, but you were the reason God did this. Think of the satisfaction. But how did Justin receive such blessing? He left America on a boat, first guy to cross the Atlantic Ocean for missions, and he hazarded his life for 35 years. Uh, when he went to Burma, it was the equivalent roughly of North Korea. The emperor ruled the country. He could kill anybody he wanted to at a moment's notice. Justin subjected himself to tropical sicknesses. He was sick for most of his life. Um, buried two wives, multiple children. He um, was imprisoned. He risked, it cost him, that's how he obtained the blessing of God. Now, but it's not just out in missionary land, alright? It's not just this. Huge thing for only the really holy people. Think about it. Why do you exist? Why, why are you here right now? Well, a part of this is because two Christians took a risk on each other, committed their lives to, to each other, okay, and got married, and then took the risk of having a baby, all right, and you came in, into existence. Or, all right, somebody took a risk and had an uncomfortable conversation with you about Jesus or coming to church or whatever and God used that to save you. You exist, and you have faith in Jesus because someone else risked something, and now they get the blessing of watching you walk through life and serve the Lord. They to see that. So God, uh, God provides his blessing to his people through their risk-taking obedience, and that obedience flows from a life of dependent faith, from a life that has already been Cured by Christ. Maybe the first step for you to experience the blessing of God is to ask a simple question How can I live where my faith is a daily, moment by moment kind of thing? What's one thing I can do this week where my faith in Jesus is not just confined to Sunday mornings and my quiet times? How can I make it more of a walk? Or maybe, for you, there is something risky or scary the Lord has been laying on your heart. Getting away from some some not so great people in your life, but you're afraid of what it's going to be like to not have them around. Or taking a job somewhere that's not, not familiar. that knows the Lord's will, but you just can't. Or a mission trip to a scary place you you don't really want to use your PTO for it. it maybe may, may that step of risk is going to, going to see the blessing of God. Let's get back from our fear. I just confess uh, my love, comfort, and security, and ease. I just repent of that and just plead that uh, you change my heart. you enable me to trust you and to live boldly for you. I'm sure I just pray for this group just plead that our... our for the sake of obtaining your blessing and enjoying You and loving You, that we would live uh, bold lives of obedience to You, pray that you-